So continuing on, we are the saints. The living Christians are saints and beloved children of God, disciples, believers, obedient ones. They are used interchangeable. The false heretics say, oh, you can be a believer, but not a disciple. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a demonic teaching. If he is not Lord, you're not saved. Very simple. When Paul and his helpers preached the gospel, it said they got many to believe. And immediately he said to them, if you continue in the word, you will be his disciples. Indeed. See, to make notice, Jesus made no distinction. These are lies to excuse people's sins. That's what they are. They're propagated by the devil. If you're not going to obey the Lord, don't say he's your savior because he's not. You will experience the wrath of God at the day of judgment. God is not the father to the sinners of the world. He's the father of all spirits. It simply means originator. Everything originates from him. But he is not a spiritual father to the sinner. Only to those who submit to him and to the Lord Jesus, then they become, we could say, his family. Okay? And he does this because of Jesus Christ. Okay? And he always will do it that way. God is not father to the sinner or the lost. Satan is the God of the people of the world who are sinners. When it says the God of this world, he's talking about people. He's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the people on the earth. So governments and religion and so forth, they're basically under his power. And he's controlled or overridden by the Lord himself when he chooses to. But he lets wickedness prevail. But then one day he deals with it. He rules the nations, but often he uses wicked nations to punish wicked nations. They're still controlled by him to a degree. When I say a degree, they don't willingly serve him often. He just overrides them because he owns everything anyway. He even owns the devil. So he uses him as it suits his purposes. Okay. But in general, the world systems are under the power of the wicked one. He wants us to know this. Okay. Because they live for, most mankind lives for sin and self. They don't even know there's a devil. He doesn't care if they don't know. He deceives the world. He causes them to believe lies, and he don't have to tell them who he is. He don't care. He gets them deceived. So most do not know that there's a devil, and they go about life, finding their life, living their self-gratified lives, getting and doing what they want. See, that's a sinner. It's not submitted, as the angels are, to the will of God. The angels, it says, always do his will. They don't argue with him. They don't fight back. They don't say, I have a better way. They understand, okay? They have perfect harmony with the Lord, okay? So he is the father, spiritual father, for those who are in the covenant. Those who've come to Jesus Christ, it says it's through him that the Father takes us on. See, he sent him, and it's through him, okay? And so Jesus said something to He said, if you come and obey me and follow me, my Father will love you as he loves me. See, 
That's the kind of love it is. So he has a covenant love. He accepts us as his children through Jesus Christ. Okay? Everything is linked with Jesus Christ. Now, in the future, forever. It's going to be the Lamb before the throne that everything proceeds from. Okay? So God's love, this is the misconception we often tell people, and they believe the lie and are damned. They think, oh, God loves me, so I, no matter what I do, he'll find a way for me. That is not what he means. God's love for the world of sinners is goodwill or benevolence. It means he wishes them well, and they're evil, and he wants them to make a peace treaty with him, and he wants them to turn from their evil to him. But he does not have covenant love with them. It is conditional. The God is what the heretics say. The love of God is conditional. If you don't do certain things, you don't get certain things. And if you do certain things, you do, and certain things will be taken from you. So the love is not permanent unless you stay with the Lord. That's the probation, the testing period that man has to go through. He has to be an overcomer to the end not just overcoming by accepting Jesus. He has to stay with Jesus and walk with Jesus and obey Jesus and trust him. Okay, that's what he's talking about. So he's a father in covenant with us, and therefore he loves us with fatherly and family love. He does this because of Jesus Christ. He set it up that way. Okay, God's love for the world is benevolence. He can be angry. See, the world can't understand that he can love them and be angry at the same time. We find these emotions hard, but you can discipline a child. You can be very angry with them and still love them. See, and have a goodwill toward them and have a different kind of love. But God's love is goodwill. But if a person is a sinner, they're an enemy. And his wrath comes up. We're going to see his anger. Uh, let's see why this happens or what goes on. So his enemies, he desires that they make a peace treaty and they submit to him and they stop being traitors and turn from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Okay? But those of the world he loves, yet his wrath is on them because of his justice and holiness. And he delights in that. He doesn't say, oh, I have to, I'd rather love you. No, he doesn't. He loves justice and holiness, and he's never altered it for anybody. He found a way in his holiness and justice to redeem man, and that's the way he is established, and that's the only way he's established, okay? So his wrath is on people that are in sin. To Christians, his love is more personal and without wrath than displeasure. But it can be disciplined, and it can be grievous, and it can be sorrowful. And then if they don't respond to it, he can cut them off. And the scripture says he will. See? If they're not disciplined, that's why it says don't despise his chastening. If you do and reject it, you'll be cut off. He said, for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. The purpose of chastening is to cause the person to stop their sin and repent and start living right. Because if they don't live right, he says, without holiness, 
No man shall see the Lord. They're not going to be able to say, oh, it's the righteousness of Christ. No, if it's not working in them, it is no good for them. We can say righteousness is imparted. Holiness is living the righteousness out. They're required. They're not separate from each other. That's what the heretic likes to separate these things to excuse sin in people or sin in who they think are Christians. They're going to be very surprised at the day of judgment. So we see his love is personal and without wrath toward those who are obedient, to those who walk in the spirit of Christ and live in the spirit of Christ. That's who the promise is to. See, many people want to say, I'm a Christian, but they don't live in the spirit. They don't walk in the spirit. They don't obey Christ. They're not being transformed. They're false. So it don't matter. But they think because they believe he's the son of God and he's the Lord, that's going to save them. He's telling us the majority of a many, many means the majority, few means very less. So few will be that find it. But he said many will go to the broad way that leads to destruction. Okay, first he says, he's been getting to his address now. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. See, again, everything is through him. Everything he receives is from the Father through Jesus Christ and the Spirit. They're one in unity. And anything he does that goes back, he does in his name. The scripture says, whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus Christ. So you do it in his character. Or you may address him, believe it or not, as the Father, the Almighty, the everlasting. That's who he is. He's one with the Father. And so that's why in the early church, they prayed to Jesus at times. They didn't pray directly to the Father. At other times, they do. Sometimes they call God our Father, God our Savior. Then another time, they say, Jesus our Savior. Then they'll say, God and our Savior. They do see the term because he's a glorified now. He's part of the divine nature, okay? Like he said, I'm with you, but I shall be in you. He was with them as a human being, as the Son of God confined, the incarnate, could not use those powers. But he said, I shall be in you. So when he resurrected and the glory was restored to him, he enters every believer by his spirit that comes to him. It's him. He said, I will be in you. That's why he talked about, he says, you'll do greater things than me. A lot of things I will not do now. He did not go out of Judea. We can go into all the world. But he's doing it in them. That's what he means. But he means physically, I, there's certain things I, could, I couldn't go to the Gentiles as a whole. It wasn't a time. There's certain things he said I couldn't do. And they did when they were filled with the Spirit. He says, many, he says, some things you don't understand are hard, but you will when the Spirit comes. I can't teach you certain things because you can't understand them well until the Spirit enlightens you. And the Spirit will not come unless I go away. So that's what he means when he talks about you'll do greater things than I did. Okay. And so we see in verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith, your Christianity is what it's talking about, is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The whole world to Paul is the Roman world and the surrounding area. People take certain scriptures too literally. 
Paul didn't know about North and South America and much of Africa. They didn't know if they existed. So these terms sometimes don't take too literally. But later on, we see that Jesus told the truth when he said, you'll go into all the world. After the discovery of these places, after the false Christianity was spread, the new gospel was given to some of these nations. See? Paul didn't even know that they existed, okay? So we must understand him to mean the Christians throughout the Roman Empire. They had heard of their good faith, of their Christianity. So if you don't take things literally, you get in trouble. A lot of people say, well, the Bible says the devil will be cast down. The leaders of the world will see him coming. And they say, well, that means all the leaders of the world are never going to be saved. That's a lie. It is an ignorant way of stating things. It means the majority of the wicked are of the world and the leaders. But people forget, Paul said, pray for your leaders that they'll be saved. Well, if he didn't believe they could be saved, he wouldn't waste his time telling you. And during the millennium and the new Jerusalem after that, it says, the kings and leaders of the nation shall bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. Well, that refutes that theory about, about being saved. The leaders of the world. So, again, don't take things too literally. That's how you get heresy. That's how you get false teachings. Deal with what he's talking about at the time, okay? So we see this. This is rightly handled in the word of truth. This is not just picking a scripture out. See, that's what the heretic does. He builds everything on a false assumption, or he twists one scripture, and he forgets the other 50 scriptures. And Peter said that's what they're doing to Paul's writings. And he says that Paul's writings are scripture. Well, how did he say that? He said because they do that with all scripture. See, he's referring to it indirectly that Paul's writings are scripture. What are they perverting and twisting? Faith and grace. Isn't that interesting? They're still doing it. A lot of them are doing it. Once saved, always saved. Faith alone. All of these things are perversions of the truth. And he said that they'll do it to their own damnation. So you can't twist and torture. That means you, you make it what it is not. You change its shape. So the word of God is not a rubber band. It's solid in what it says, if you know the truth, if you can put the truth together. But the Lord keeps the truth from a lot of wicked people. And so they will start to believe lies, and heretics will start to believe lies, and the Lord's response is, leave them alone. See, if you want a person a couple of times, the apostle said, he's talking to pastors and Timothy and other. he says, you want a heretic at least two times, and then you don't have nothing to do with him. You throw him out. And there was none of this uh, hound the person for 40 years until he gets saved. Oh, we'll wait until he dies, and then he'll be afraid, and then he'll accept the gospel. The gospel won't be offered because he's hardened himself. See, God will be more gracious than the one who has received less. People in the third world might get away with a death being repentant, not in most of Europe and America. They're not going to be able to pull that card, okay? Especially if they live for 30 or 40 years rejecting the gospel, and then they want to get saved because they're afraid of hell. That is not the reason, and nor is the Lord's purpose to save them. 
See? They think God's wringing his hands, trying to keep everybody out of hell. Well, let me tell you, most people are going to hell, and they have torment, and their smoke is in favor with God, his righteous indignation. He'll have nothing but contempt, and he will despise them. There will not be one good thought toward the people who end up in the lake of fire. That's the God of wrath. That's what we're being warned against. And when menaces don't preach, there's no fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God works in you to will and do his purposes. What's the fear and trembling for? It's for the Christian that you reverence God, that you do not sin against him. That's what it's talking about, a certain fear. Paul said once when they're preaching the gospel, he warned them to, he said, continue in the fear of the Lord. People who don't have the fear of the Lord think he's their daddy and Santa Claus. They're going to be surprised one day. Okay? Okay. So we see this, that God said to them, it's being proclaimed throughout the world, your Christianity. He was, and he'd never been there. And it's been at least 20-some years. So he was marveling at their change. But like all of these local churches, home churches, they had their problems. And he, he wants to straighten them out before they cause too much trouble. He don't want the Christian Jewish separating from the Gentile Christian or the Jewish Christian. But there are no church buildings. These are home groups and so forth he's talking about. Okay. Verse 9. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, a person, we are spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit and soul is our personality. It is not separated as a person. Your spirit don't go be with the Lord and your soul goes to hell. It don't work that way. Your soul don't live in sin and your spirit goes to be with Jesus. That's false heresy. See, Calvinism, ultra false heresy, teaches your spirit cannot sin. Well, that's no different than the Nicolaitans who said because your spirit's saved and can't sin, you can sin all you want with your soul. See, these are heresies. The dividing of the spirit and soul, Hebrews, which has been perverted often, God divides the spirit to show us what it's like. God divides the soul. He does not divide the soul from the spirit. That's the heresy that so much is built on. Okay? So if we understand that, if we're a Christian, we serve God through our spirit first. Our soulish part and our human part are supposed to obey our spirit. They're under that control. Our spirit is united with Christ. It has a will, and we have a will, and it's never taken from us. And we can choose to keep following the Lord, or we can follow the soul and the world. See, it's never taken from us. We have a desire in the new man, but it does not override our will. That's why we're tempted. That's why the Christian has to fight warfare and fight the world, the flesh, and the devil because it tries to get them back into the world. Well, if his new man was so perfect, he wouldn't be tempted. But he is. And see, it's the will. God always gives us the responsibility. We can choose to stay with the Lord or leave the Lord to a degree as long as God's being gracious. If we're a wicked person, we can choose to turn to the Lord 
if he's given his spirit, if he's revealing the truth through our conscience. See, there's different degrees, okay? Most people that hear the gospel will reject the gospel. That's already understood. Many are called, but few are chosen, okay? So we need to understand that from the beginning, what we're dealing with. So he says, I'm preaching through his spirit, from my spirit, the gospel of his son. Jesus Christ, that's the Lord, is my witness. He witnesses how unceasingly I make mention of you. So he said, Jesus knows how much I prayed for you. Well, he's never been to Rome, but he prays for all of the Gentile churches. He's gifted to do this in a way that the normal Christian is not. See, he has, he's a foundation. He uses this apostolic insight. And this surprises people. And Paul said to them, you never hear this much. And I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you do. That's how he did his praying a lot. The Bible says speaking in tongues is man's spirit speaking to God. It doesn't say it's prophesying God speaking through the person to us. He says you give praise and thanks rightly, but do it quietly not in the assembly of the saints, if it's not going to be interpreted. So Paul said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. And he said, and forbid not to speak in tongues of prophecy. Well, that blows a lot of people's theory, doesn't it? Okay, that he had that gift. It says, speak in tongues more than anybody. That means he was more gifted in tongues than anybody. Okay, he makes it known. He's an apostle. He's a prophet. He serves God by his spirit. His spirit soul is who he is. That's who we are, okay? Angels have the spirit of the Lord prevailing them, but they have their own personality and their own spirit. They're a unique individual, okay? So Christians are the same. The person that's not a Christian has a spirit, but it's basically separate or separate it from God. See there, it still has the, it's just perverted. It's just sinful. The spirit part of man has to deal with worship and conscience and things like, and so it can, but it still belongs to the man. It's when the Christian is born again, God cleanses by his blood and gives us a, a new conscience. He doesn't do away with the spirit. And then he puts Christ in us, spirit. He unites himself with us as our helper. We will always be us wherever we're at. Whether we are living eternally in heaven or we're in the lake of fire forever, we will always be who we are, okay? So what we say is the spirit has to do more with portions of the conscience, communion, that which connects us to the spiritual world. The will sort of goes back and forth. The will can override these things or can submit. And so God wants the Christian to use his will to submit and do what he wants. And then he helps us by his spirit. See, we have the ability to do that. So that's why scriptures to Christian is encouragement, admonishment, warning. It always is to appeal to the Christian spirit to do something. So God expects the Christian to do something. If he doesn't do something, he's lost. He has to serve the Lord 
through his spirit, but his will must consent to it. See? The spirit of prophets is subject to prophets. They can get the word of the Lord, but they control the speaking. God doesn't grab their tongue and make them speak. He influences them. He moves upon them, and then they have to exercise their will to yield to the spirit. The scripture says they spake, the human did the speaking, as the spirit gave utterance, the spirit gave the impulse, but they had to do the speaking. So God doesn't make them. That's a fallacy, okay? So uh, what we see is then that the soul of man is bound more to the earth, earthly feelings, moods, and stuff, anything that is of the animal world. We talk of romance and sex and a lot of these things. These are earthly things. We have no understanding of what will be taken into the next life. Therefore, breeding, Romance is to bring them to that place of breeding and having children. We have to eat to live. See, all of that is from the soul area. But he's still a part of the person. God breathed into the dust, and man became a living soul. Christ, because he had no sin, and he overcame, he was a life-giving spirit. Wasn't just had a soul. Adam didn't have that, okay? So we're seeing the second Adam. The last Adam is Jesus. He undid what Adam did, okay? God used that plan. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I, brethren, he's talking to the Corinthians, could not speak to you as to spiritual but to the carnal as to babes in Christ. The two words for carnal is to be carnal-minded leads to eternal death. The other word for carnal is you're acting like a man. You're not moving in this. You're doing wood, hay, and stubble. The other flesh is you're sinning grossly. See, that's the work of the flesh. So we need a, the heretic tries to think, oh, well, just because you're committing fornication, you're just a weak baby Christian. You're not a Christian. That's the truth, okay? So the earthly and natural, you're acting like children of the world. You're acting like the natural man. Doesn't necessarily mean you're being evil. You're just not being spiritual. So a lot of baby Christians and novices do things that have no spiritual value. Oh, they want to give. Say a young novice wants to give. But he thinks, oh, uh, they're going to think so good of me, and, and I'm going to teach them, and oh, I'm going to feel so good for it. Uh, see, that's vain. That's carnal. That's acting. The world wants attention. They're not doing it for Christ and in Christ. They're doing it for the self. I hear them all the time, these men who say, oh, we give the glory to God, and they prance around, and they let people know they're millionaires, and they flaunt everything because they're of the world. They're not of Christ. But they say, oh, I do it for God's glory. He's a lying shepherd. That's what we have to deal with today. I'm sorry. I was a part of a ministry that was both ways. And they had guests that came in. And we had Christian so-called women. And they would sing to the Lord. It was so beautiful. As their boobs bounced around and you could see their nipples. Don't tell me they're holy of the Lord. See, that's the world Christianity. That's not the Lord's. 
So later in Romans, he says, we serve in newness of the spirit, spirit to spirit, not soul and national. If we don't worship the Lord from our spirit, our emotions and moods and anything in the natural done is worthless. So I hear many people sing songs. That's why they come to church. If they didn't have singing, a lot of them wouldn't go to church. Well, let me tell you, Jesus said something to the temple worshipers back in Ezekiel's time. He says, you sing and you play musical instruments, and they played well. And he said, they stink. He said, I don't accept them because your heart is far from me. He didn't call that worship. He called that entertainment. That's what they're doing today. They're just entertaining themselves. They want to sing until they feel good and emotional. That's nothing to do with the Lord. See, if it's not spiritual, doesn't mean nothing. Scripture says, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Teaching and admonishing one another with your song. He didn't say nothing about entertaining yourself or because it sounds pretty. See, that's just soulish. Has no spiritual value. That's why we have gifted people that are gifted naturally. And some of them are the most perverted, low-life people on earth. But they had a, a talent for music. They had a talent for painting and sculpture. Children of the devil. But we admire their work. They were gifted with natural talent. They weren't gifted with spiritual talent unless they came to the Lord, okay? So he serves in preaching the gospel and with the other apostles. He's responsible for always praying for them and other Christians. That's a, a pastor, a shepherd. That's any mature Christian who's teaching and helping other people. We pray for the people we're helping. We're not just teaching babes and making disciples. Some of the people don't realize they have so much pride and arrogance that you're teaching people that are more spiritual than you are. I've seen that happen many times. Oh, they're simple, but they obey the Lord. And you know a lot, and you don't obey the Lord, so you're going to have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. See? They go to bed. And you think, oh, I know so much. Well, that's what the Corinthians thought. And Paul let them know that they didn't know enough and that their knowledge was foolish and was leading them into trouble. They had no love with it. See, they have knowledge because they wanted people to think they were intellectual. It was selfish. And he put some judgments on them later for that, okay? If it's not inspired by the Spirit, and we're not working with the Spirit, it has no use in the Spirit world, okay? It's very simple. People understand that. So I've taught people, I've had babes in Christ years ago, give me a prophetic word. I was far more spiritual than they were. I didn't gloat over that. It was the truth. They just come to the Lord. But see, God at times does as he pleases, and they spoke a word to me. So people forget when you're ministering to one to another, you might be ministering to people more spiritual than you are. They may be gifted a different way, but it don't mean that you're more spiritual than them. That is judged by God how they obey him. And like I say, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay? So we see you are always in my prayers, verse 10. And make requests 
if by now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So he had wanted to go to the Romans for years. But in his apostolic ministry and teaching, God had not sent him there. And he had tried to obey the Lord. He kept his conscience pure. So he didn't go against the Lord. But he kept praying and said, well, one day I'd like to go to Rome. And so God arranged it, okay? And he said, perhaps at last. He's still praying about it. He's got the final word, but he's sending them a letter to let them know that he's not forgotten them. He wants them to know he's prayed for them for years and he's wanting to come to Rome, but God has not permitted him yet. So he wants them to know that it's not out of not loving them or not being concerned for them that he's not come. It's God's purposes at that time. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift that you may be established. Okay, that's the work, basically, of an apostle. He laid hands on people. Uh, The Bible says with Timothy, he gave him his calling as an evangelist by prophecy. He said, it came through my hands. He says, stir up the gift that is in you that came through me prophesying to you, see? And Timothy eventually became an apostle, basically. He governed a whole area. Titus did the same. But he laid hands on them. See, the laying hands on of the saints. When people established for teaching or certain ministries, the body of Christ, the mature Christians, prayed for them. And God moves. Most people have the laying on of hands. It's just empty hands. Don't do them a bit of good. Just rubs the hair on the head. They didn't get nothing imparted to them. And God didn't call them. See, most people are called by men. If God didn't call them, they can lay all the hands they want on them. They're not called by God, okay? And even if people don't lay hands on them, God will move or override it when he sees fit, okay? So we we see this, God's liberty to do certain things different ways when he chooses. So he wants to impart, I want to impart some spiritual gift. As the apostle to the Gentiles, he was gifted at times to display extra moves of the Spirit and to appoint people. See, he came back and he prayed with the elders and leaders and then he saw some of them that God wanted to give them greater ministry. And so he pronounced this. He helped in the laying on of hands for elders to become teachers. He may have called, appointed some of them to go out and be evangelists. See, But the gift went through him. And he wants to do this with the Romans. He knows God, they are doing well and their name is spreading. So he thinks they need more. Much who is given, much is given. If you're faithful to a little bit. So God sees them as need to be gifted more. Their fellowships. So that's why he wants to go also. So that was verse 11. Okay, Remember, uh, Timothy and Titus were given higher ministry by the laying on of hands and by Paul prophesying with the other elders. Okay, Laying on hands, he's the one that did the prophesying. To establish them for ministry, gifts, service. God gives ministry and gifts in portion. And he can give more later. Or he can give another ministry later. That's his right. 
So if we're faithful to what he's given us, we can move forward. That's why I told the mature Christian, if you desire to be a teacher, an elder, and a deacon, he said, you desire a good thing, and you can get the blessing of the Lord. And so they laid hands on him, recognized their ministry, and let them go about their way. Okay, See, they chose to do that. But for the fivefold ministry, certain teaching, you have to be called. And James said, not many of you should choose to be teachers. He said, because we're going to receive a stricter judgment. So Paul would basically say, it's good if you desire to do that. But if you get this ministry, you can't walk away from it. You are accountable. You either rebel or you move up higher. <laughs> you don't go back and regress. You get another ministry. You're to do something else for the Lord. But if you're not faithful, God can take it from you. So that's why James says, not many of you should seek to be teachers. So the ones that do seek, you better seek and understand your stewardship and responsibility beyond your zeal to minister for people. Okay, so that was verse 11. Let's go ahead and stop. Father, give us wisdom, inspiration, give us exhortation, admonishment, give us teaching and prophecy, Lord, that your word can be used for all, to the one who speaks it and to the one who hears it. Your spirit is to move if there's to be edification and if there's to be the life of Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.